Okay. Uh, none of these diseases. Update and expand it. Book was written in 1969 by Dr. McMillan, a medical doctor, and updated in 1983 with uh, assistance from Dr. Stern, so co-author cool by him. So two medical doctors here. But I'm going to add some things and update some things since the 1983 and expand it, adding some additional insights from traditional Asian medicine. Not that traditional Asian medicine is correct or right necessarily, but there's some insight because we have to ask, how can we reach to people of other faith? Otherwise, we look at this book and it's wonderful, but <clears throat> how would someone with different eyes see what we see? The theme of the lectureship, God loves forever. And because of that, we know he cares for our health. Skeptics say, this is the challenge, that the Bible is not unique. It shows no signs of being divinely inspired and is scientifically unsupported. And this is our response. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, that we ought to test what they say, test what others say, test what we say, and hold on to that which is good, which stands the test of faith. The Lord wishes you good health. Is that true or is it not true? In 1862, a... Uh, dealer in antiquities, Edwin Smith, purchased this thing called a surgical papyrus. And then he sent it to England to have it examined, tested for authenticity. And is believed to be a copy of a much older work, probably from 3000 as much as 3700 BC. But this book was uh, a very unusual. It talked about medicines. We get an idea of what medicine was like uh, in ancient, during the ancient times. In a book called The History of Medicine by Ian Dawson, Prehistoric Egyptian Medicine, we read that Athens, they imported Egyptian physicians as in almost every other nation around because they were considered to be the top medical physicians around. Uh, Homer, the Odyssey in the 7th century BC, wrote a poem, and in it he mentioned in medical knowledge, Egypt leaves the rest of the world behind. Is that really true or not? Well, then where does this wonderful knowledge come from? Did it come from Sekhmeth, Toth, or Isis? Uh, Sekhmeth, the patron of priests, because in the ancient world, usually it was the priest who did the doctrine, who <clears throat> conjured up spirits to heal people. And Toth, well, he actually did surgical work. Supposedly repairing the eye of Horus that was torn to pieces and put it back together. And he invented this miraculous thing called writing. That when you actually write something, it carries meaning, something new in the world. And it was believed that somehow it is a divine revelation from the spirit world. But ultimately, Isis, because we're not talking about just... Uh, spiritual healing of priests. We're not just talking about spiritual communication. We're talking about life after death. We're talking about the resurrection. Isis holding the on the key to everlasting life. But is this really true or not? If we take a closer look, you know, if someone likes you, you can't do anything wrong. They always look at, talk about your good point. If they don't like you, you can't do anything right because they're always spending time pointing out your bad point. And people want to point out that the Egyptian writing was so superior to anything around. I would want to uh, propose something different. 
the Holy Scriptures shows the divine wisdom of God, far yeah. superior than anything from man. But <clears throat> in the surgical papyrus, if we actually examine all of them, they only point out <coughs> successes. They don't point out so much superstitions in it. And the surgical papyrus, they actually dealt with cases of trauma. We're talking about accidents, fall, arm being broken, legs being broken, arm being severed. Things that you can see, not internal problem. In other words, these are things that a reasonably intelligent person can just figure out what to do. Well, he's bleeding, let's stop the bleeding. Okay, the arm is broken, it's crooked, let's see if we can straighten it out. Things that even if you're not a medical doctor, you could maybe, if you're reasonably intelligent, come up with some sort of logical way to deal with a person. And they say, oh, wow, wonderful medical knowledge. What the Egyptians offered in the surgical papyri was just a reasonable how-to-do-it guide. But what else did they say? A friend of medicine of ancient Egypt says that uh, to call out Nekbek. Nekbek is a vulture. If you had to get two feathers of Nekbek and cover yourself with it here, it will chase away the demon of disease. Is what it says. Oh, they don't mention that kind of superstition here. But that's how you have healing here. But when we look at see other things, we find in the scripture we find scientific foreknowledge far in advance of his time. Uh, see, Doctor Ignaz Zemmelweis, an Austrian. Uh, he was a physician and he was assigned to the maternity ward, and he noticed something here. He noticed that. When he, the medical students, you know, would you rather be treated by midwives or medical students? You know, he said medical students. But they noticed that the uh, uh, mortality rate was three times higher on the mortality rooms that were attended by medical students. Right. Three times higher. The medical students would come straight from a class on Dealing, see, with uh, autopsy with dead body, and go straight into the delivery room and work with the expectant mothers, and the mortality rate was three times higher. So when the women look and they see the medical students come in, they will terrify them because it was not a good sign. You did not want to be treated by a medical student. So he suggested something here. He said, you know, I think it might be good. <coughs> If you were to wash your hands and change your clothes so they're nice, uh, clean clothes before you take care of the expectant mother. Although he was very correct in what he said, many ignored his recommendation. It's like a, the uh, like the karate master. They like to wear not a clean black belt. They like to wear a black belt that's all worn out, torn, and tattered. To show that this guy, I'm a veteran, I've had this black belt for 40 years or something. I said, I just recently earned my black belt. So they like to think that they have a lab coat that has blood stains. It shows I'm an experienced doctor instead of a clean white lab coat. So it's considered a badge of honor here. Okay, it wasn't until the 19th century that Joseph Lister, there was supposed to be a picture of Joseph Lister, there was one there, right, that uh, he convinced many people that hand washing would save lives. Now, 
uh, Semmelweis, people will ignore them. It started bothering him that I'm correct, but nobody will listen to me. Eventually, he became uh, mentally unstable, and he was taken to an insane asylum where they tied him up and beat him up, and he died two weeks after he was taken to the insane asylum. But Joseph Lister said, let's wash our hands. When they wash their hands, the death rate dropped. Then when he, in addition to that, two years later, he added the antiseptic and the death rate dropped down even further here, finally convincing the scientific medical establishment that the Semmelweis was indeed correct, that washing the hands is indeed uh, good. They recommend using soap, scrubbing, and running water to rinse off pathogens in order to stop the spread of germs. But yet we have that taught exactly in the scripture thousands of years ago. Right. All right. The Bible, and this is out of sequence. All right. Uh, see, it mentions it using a red heifer by having running water through a red heifer to make lye. And then scrubbing your hands with hyssop. <laughs> well, if Moses as a prince, he would have been educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, including medicine, which means that if he had yielded to adding some of his higher education to his writing, he would expect, we would expect to find in the Bible, the Torah, we'll find all sorts of uh, superstitions in the Bible and unscientific remedies. But we don't. We don't. Instead, we find, see, the writings here from God, he spoke to Moses. He says, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the disease I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And that is the title of the book, I will give you none of these diseases. If we follow him, if we obey him. Okay. Uh, the Bible taught this thousands of years ago. Run water through the ash of a red heifer here. Use hyssop, cedar wood oil, and wool fiber, and wash with running water. Well, what's the significance of this here? All right. Well, the red heifer just refers to a, a rusty brown uh, female uh, see, cow. Um, that's never been pregnant, that never see, uh, had uh, sexual intercourse with uh, uh, a male cow. And when we see burn the ashes, which is what the priests are ordered to do, when you run through water, the water that comes out is a little bit, okay, uh, alkaline as it is here. Okay, a lie, which is a little bit irritating to the skin. Okay, but by being irritating and having these ashes, it becomes like an exfoliant, a cleansing agent. And in addition to that, you would add the uh, water purification with hyssop. Hyssop contains thymol, which is an active ingredient we find in Listerine. The hyssop oil in the leaves has, has antiseptic and antiviral properties. Penicillin grows on its leaves. And an infusion can be used as a sedative, as expectorant for uh, respiratory ailments. 
And as far as the cedar wood oil, here's the cedars of Lebanon here. The oil from the cedar wood is a minor skin irritant, and when you add felt wool to it, it encourages, it encourages, it encourages to want to scrub, not just to rinse your hand, but just to actually scrub. All right. The Bible taught us thousands of years ago, all right, and to repeat washing and to do it with running water over a period of seven days, and afterwards when you hang it. They'll be killed by the UV from the sun to disinfect it, keep it nice and clean. During this time, we did not know there was such a thing as pathogens, as bacteria or virus, because microscopes were not invented until the 17th century AD. Okay. The Bible is also about quarantine and isolation and to dispose of waste matter. Well, We've heard it recently, just about a month ago, that COVID-19 is under control. We no longer have a pandemic. But cholera isn't over. Right now, right now, presently, Malawi in Africa is suffering the worst cholera outbreak in its history. And there's a cholera outbreak throughout much of Western Africa and India as well. You have on the upper left, there were people with a woodcut showing the sewage they were collected in barrels. People collected the sewage to sell as fertilizer. So you see sewage here and people walking in the sewage and digging it up to put in barrel to carry it around to sell it to people to use as fertilizer. So they're exposed to all this to walking in the refuge and in the fecal matters here. And that's what leads to cholera, the contamination of water here. But in Deuteronomy 30, 23, verse 12 and 13, the scripture says you must have a designated area outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. Each of you must have a spade as part of your equipment. Whenever you relieve yourself, dig a hole with a spade and cover the excrement. Well, this is modern science. But they were practicing leaving open refuge up until, see, the 18th century. And even still today, which is why we have this outbreak presently. Uh, let's continue this further here. You know this, you've probably seen this before. Mouse trap, a Rube Goldbart machine. You need to uh, be able to pull this lever back. It strikes this little uh, basket here, carrying a little metal ball that goes down here. It drops down here, goes around here, hits here, and it's carried in this bucket. It drops it here, and it spins here, it drops here, hits this here. And a man that's in here will flip over, land here, and cause... This, the man to jump here and this little trap will fall on top of the person to trap him. Now, no one would imagine that these things could have evolved by accident, by chance factors. There, there's too many parts that had to work in synchrony. Well, I'm going to show you something very interesting that perhaps many of you have not seen before. In Genesis 17:12 and on here, it says, from generation to generation, Every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. 
This applies not only to members of your family, but also to your servants and those in your household. And here you have in archaeology, ancient tools used for circumcision. Oh, look how rough those blades are, like they're here. Now, why in the world circumcise at all, and why on the eighth day? Well, this shows you in simple fashion here. <laughs> all right, uh, the steps of blood clotting, the blood clotting cascade. You see how complicated. So let, let me show you another thing that makes it a lot easier. Is that a lot easier? <laughs> okay. Blood clotting factor. But let me show you how it works. Okay. Now, there's that diagram so will be also on your left, but somehow it disappeared. I, I don't know what happened here. But anyway. Alright. Uh, the blood clotting protein is in an inactive form. Prothrombin. Pro, mean before. And it's continuing to produce in the liver. That circle is supposed to circle that part in the diagram, but it disappeared. The liver needs vitamin K to convert the inactive form to the active form. Vitamin K is produced in our intestinal tract. You see that uh, intestine here. When a baby is born, the vitamin K level is similar to that of the mother. Uh, infants are born without the beneficial bacteria in their intestines to produce vitamin K. It takes about five days for the bacteria to build up, for the baby to produce an adequate number amount of vitamin K by itself. So the problem is this here. So after birth, the amount of vitamin K drops and drops and drops. As a result, prothrombin drops 30% of normal. And then guess what happens on the eighth day? On the eighth day, if you're going to use these real surgically precise knives, as you saw earlier. Ouch. Uh, you, you stand at risk of bleeding to death. But if you're going to do it on the eighth day, you're in your best bet for safety because you have more available prothrombin, blood clotting element that will stop bleeding. Now, that doesn't mean that we have that worry or concern today because nowadays we do have surgically precise knives and and cutting instruments, and we have blood transfusion and the staff of nurse all ready. But we're talking about ancient uh, times when Moses and the wandering nomad, the Hebrews, had to deal with the weather in dusty and dirty environment. But on the eighth day, how could the Jews have possibly known this? That the eighth day would be the safest day to do a circumcision when they had no knowledge of such factors here. Scientists says that, uh, that if you aren't circumcised, and many of us probably are not, okay, uh, have high risk of uh, UTI, urinary tract infection, <coughs> kidney failure, infection of bone marrow, and other uh, various problems, including passing on virus to the, the woman that can cause cervical cancer. But most of all, more important than that, circumcision was a covenant sign between God and his people that says, do you trust me when I say I will give you none of these diseases? Just trust me. If I explain to you about bacteria and viruses, you wouldn't understand it. That things, invisible things are out there that you cannot see. Just trust me. And now, do you believe that there's a real God who gave you these instructions? 
In Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, faith makes us sure of what we hope for and give us proof of what we cannot see. It was their faith that made our ancestors pleasing to God. Because of our faith, we know that the world was made at God's command. We also know that what can be seen was made out of things which cannot be seen. We have to understand, once again, the microscope was not invented since the 17th century AD. In the ancient world, the most powerful thing is they have a little magnifying glass, and that's about it. But to see blood cells, you need to have roughly, uh, if you have 400 power magnification, you can see blood cells with little dots. Okay, you need to probably have 800 to 1,000 or 1,200 power magnification before you can see decent red blood cells as it is here. Uh, so it tells that the Bible has scientific medical foreknowledge well in advance of its time. You might think, that's fabulous. But how does that speak to people of other culture? How does it speak, for example, to those who are imbued with uh, traditional Chinese medicine or Chinese, traditional Asian medicine? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 22, for though I'm free from all men, I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Which means if it helps me to bridge, uh, build bridge of communication with Russians to Ugandans, to Vietnamese, to Colombians. Let us learn the culture and do what we can to reach out and to win souls to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 and 18, 20 and 24, abbreviated, even so the body of, is not made up of just one part, but of many. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. If they are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body, but God has put the body together. Hmm, what does this mean? Dr. Kaizo Hashimoto was a naval physician for Imperial Japan during the Second World War. He said he opposed the war, but he had no choice because he was forced to serve. But he says, I want to be a healer. So when he was uh, assigned to China, he took care of both the Chinese as well as the Japanese. And when he was on the, the <coughs> boat, he just took care of anyone, regardless who they were, for their injuries. But he served because he had no choice, because his family would be punished by the Japanese if he did not cooperate. But Kaizo Hashimoto said that he was in a state of depression over all that occurred during World War II. Then one day someone introduced the Bible to him. And he read the Bible and he said, it brought me a peace that I've never experienced before. And he said, for the first time in my life, I am able to be at rest with myself. We know very little more about him, uh, aside from what had happened there. Okay. Dr. Hashimoto said, when he heard, read that scripture, he says, here's a Buddhist who says, the body had many parts? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the body's acupuncture meridian system. Do you see how the Asian mind thinks differently? 
That's what he thought. That's what he believes in. It shows the meridian system here. It has been verified by many lines of evidence. And here are the lines of evidence. As, uh, let's see, Dr. C. Uh, uh, Vernichal at Necker Hospital in France, one of the oldest hospitals in the world. 1993 used technetium 99 metastable isotope. Injected CDs, medical radioactive isotope at acupuncture points. And it flowed. And it followed those lines. You ever see these mannequins of acupuncture? See all these lines and dots? It flowed, mapping those same lines. Uh, Dr. Cho, a professor of physics, Western trained at UC Irvine using functional MRI, was astounded when they massaged the outside of your pinky toes that the functional MRI showed the occipital lobe, the visual associative center, to just light up, showing increased blood flow to the visual part of the brain that affects vision. He said, how in the world does massaging the outside of the pinky toe increase blood flow? He said, that must be an artifact. So he asked student for volunteers. So maybe that guy's weird. Tested student. It was all the same. Every student he tested. You massage the outside of your pinky toes, increase blood flow to the back. They said, think of the implication for people who might be uh, suffering from strokes, which is decreased blood vessel. If we can increase blood flow by massaging certain parts of the body here. Uh, Seoul National University uh, discovered something called biophotons. You guys remember the marvel of uh, fiber optics? These land, how does how the world's light bend through this fiber this curve? When it first came out, it was amazing. They found out that you shine a laser beam through, let's say, the lung meridian here. It shows up here. Nanoparticles number five. They injected nanoparticles in an acupuncture point, like let's say here at a large intestine point here. It shows up at the large intestine point here, but nowhere else. This shows that it's following a meridian point. Uh, electrical conductivity, Dr. Yoshio Nakatani, an MD, PhD, found out that uh, pathology is when there is a 30 milliamp difference between acupuncture points. If I have an acupuncture point here, or let's say in the pericardium, and from the same point here, if there's a more than a 30 milliamp, a 30 to more milliamp difference, there's a sign of illness. It shows that these, there's something to it. At Fujian Normal Sea University, infrared thermography, when they would do stroke to, uh, in Qigong and do Tai Chi, they could actually see certain areas that would glow with increased blood flow. And Harvard Medical School, using fluorescent dye, produced the same. They said that it seems pretty conclusive that the ancient Chinese meridians really do exist. Yes. Is there a physiological basis for the meridian system? I see all these, you have all these demonstrations, but I mean, what aspect, what's the biological? Uh, uh, see, in uh, Seoul National University, they said they actually found a structure, but they said it's so transparent, well, amidst 
blood vessels and other tissues, unless you have, let's say, a microscope to write see diffraction, uh, it's invisible. You can't see it. You have to adjust it. You have to adjust. Hey, there's something there. What's that? Let's adjust it here. Adjust it here. Then you could actually see the structure. We'll talk a little, if you, uh, talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so we don't run out of time. Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down, Moses from the Mount Sinai, after talking to God, his face was radiant. <coughs> the Bible said his face was radiant. The people were afraid because his face was radiant. Energy was being emitted. And then the woman, see, uh, with the issue of blood, he touched uh, Jesus' uh, garment, and in verse 46 on the right-hand side, but Jesus said, somebody touched me before I perceive power going out from me. Is it possible that there's something true about Qigong? A Qigong master from China came out here and gave a demonstration. I have uh, uh, two friends of mine. They're both uh, one physician assistant, one's a nursing practitioner. He was a foreign-trained medical doctor. And he said, he saw this here, where, now, if you bring your hand real closer, you can feel the heat from your hand. You can feel it. Sure. But this man was able to hold it for now here, and hold it here. And he said, now I'm going to concentrate. And he said, they could feel their hands warm, being warmed up from the energy that's being sent. That energy's being sent out. So you see how, for an Asian mind, this is one way we can reach out to them here. We're talking about radiation of energy. Okay, I have to move along quickly here. Okay. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it talks about the phylacteries. It says that uh, the words of God bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Repeat in verse 18. We're talking about something like this here. You've probably seen it before. You know, have a little box on your forehead with scriptures, and you'll tie this bind. And you were supposed to do this uh, uh, every day, if you're an observant Jew, as a reminder, as a reminder, like you tie rubber bands so you won't forget something. So you tie this here to uh, bring you closer to God. And it's said that this is a, a way we commune with God. And on his forearms here, there's also another phylactery box with scripture as well. Someone looked at it and they were astounded by what they found. Absolutely astounded. We talk about communication opening channels with God, according to traditional Asian medicine, that knot right there is actually the acupoint, acupuncture point, all right? Uh, see, of Duma 16, uh, acupuncture point known as the Wind Mansion or Ghost Pillow here. And then if you see here in the back of where the knot actually that's actually right there in acupuncture point. That's supposed to bring us closer to God for communication. And this point right there, oh, again, that's a point known as the upper star or the ghost hall. A point right there, the exact spot. All right? And a point in the front where it latches on there, that is known as the courtyard of heaven, the spirit court. It calms the mind and balances the spirit. Considered to be the location of physical basis of the spirit. Is that called the chakura? Pardon? Is that called the chakura? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, is that, uh, what language is that? It's translated into English. Okay. Uh, she's a Mandarin speaker. I'm a Cantonese speaker. <laughs> uh -huh. Chakura. Uh -huh. C-H. Uh -huh. 
Chakra. Chakra. Okay. Um, Is that a step? Yes and no. Uh, I I don't want to go into Hinduism and chakras because when you look at the uh, chakras, there's a lot of work done in the Qigong. Uh, I have uh, some problems with some of the things being taught in Hinduism and chakras, so I I personally don't use chakras. Okay. All right. You look at the forearm here. Do you have the exact point where you're supposed to tie it around your arm? That is the lung three point. Continuing on. Where the front, the way you wrap it is lung seven. At that point, on the other side, you can't see, but on the other side where it wraps around is lung nine, the great abyss of the ghost heart here. It has, all this has to do with spirit and mind, according to traditional Asian medicine. Uh, is this scientific? Is it proof? No, I'm not saying that at all. But it's interesting as a bridge to reach out to perhaps Asians, people of other culture, that the scriptures and teachings, and of course this is not detailed in scripture, but from the rabbinic writings, which according to rabbis, is derived from the scripture here. The pericardium, the way it's wrapped in the middle finger, the pericardium meridian here, stimulates the channels to calm the mind and the heart here. All the pressure point that's being overlaid, overlapped, that's actually being pressed, are actual acupuncture point. How in the world could they have possibly known such things here? And here we have large intestine four, the Union Valley, soothes the mind and calms anxiety. Okay. And here is spirit gate, the point right there. This is something that's been published in the, the acupuncture uh, the Journal of Acupuncture Medicine, this article that I referred to, and this is called the Black Ravine, small intestine uh, number three here. Continuing on. The Bible says, Did the Lord God form the man of dust from the ground, breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature? When we talk about Qigong, we talk about a Chinese character that means breath, and it means air. And that brings life. That's consistent with the Holy Scriptures. Just as I show you some of the first half in the book, that shows how it can relate to uh, Western culture, to show that there is a God behind the Bible. Here's a way that you can show people who come from a different background, that yes, there is sign of the divinity behind us here. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let him have dominion, then he created man, he created male and female. Now, according to the Bible, Adam was created first. Uh, if you're not aware of it, you look read evolutionary literature. They say actually first man came from female, females came first, according to evolution. You see it in the blog, you see it in literature, yeah. But the interesting thing here, when you look at the yin yang sign here, it's called the grand terminus or the tai chi, the emblem here. According to this here, according to traditional Asian medicine here, the beginning of creation was male. That's consistent with the scriptures. And female derived from male. When I say derived, that does not mean superior or better or anything like that here. As we all know, male, female, we're all equal in the sight of God. Okay, I only have a short time left here. I need to move along quickly here. Uh, some of you may know Reiki. Any of you guys know Reiki? Practice yes. Reiki? 
Okay. Uh, uh, I'm a certified Reiki master. I don't give a whole lot of stock to it, I'll be honest. <laughs> I learned it in order to better understand Tai Chi, the ins and outs, the height, the breath, and the depth of Tai Chi. I study Reiki, I looked at it, and, it, and I'm shaking my head. But I want to know, I want to understand. There's much in there. But there's something here. Dr. Makao Yasui, uh, according to see, uh, Mrs. Uh, Hawaii Takada, who brought Reiki to the Western world, said that uh, see, Dr. Yasui went up a mountain and conversed with God and Jesus and learned some things about healing. His family says, no, he's, he's a Buddhist. He died a Buddhist. He's buried in a Buddhist cemetery. Miss uh, Takata, depending who you want to believe, says, no, he was a closet Christian. When he came to America, uh, he studied divinity. But he used a different name. Now, some of you may not know this. I would. I come from that type of culture. I have a friend who came from communist China. He came here to study at Sunset School of Preaching and he changed his name. So people cannot trace him. So if he goes back, he don't run into all sorts of trouble. So I can tell you that Sunny Shen from Hong Kong is actually a different person by a different name. It does happen. But if you ask uh, uh, people he knows back there, no, no, he's not a Christian. Well, he was. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, um, do you remember, see, some of you may remember the movie that came out with uh, Andrew Garfield, Silence. Have any of you saw that movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, horrifying. It's so depressing. Mm-hmm. The movie is depressing. Here's an ancient see, a Japanese painting here. We have about two and a half minutes left. And you see on the left is a tablet with an image supposedly of Jesus. And people are asked to step on it. If you do not step on it, you will be executed. There was a time when the samurais, in order to uh, eliminate Western uh, poison from Japanese culture, would see resort to such things here. Uh, you'll be executed if you do not step on the image of this plate here. All right. And here's an, another uh, ancient painting, uh, 1597. 26 Japanese and Christian missionaries in Nagasaki that were crucified. And here is a memorial tomb to those individuals that were crucified. Now I don't know what you would do. Uh, uh, I don't. You may totally disagree with me. I say that's not Jesus. That's just an image. We're not to worship images. Right. Now some say if I step on it, I'm denying Christ. But that's not Christ. That's not Christ. That's not Jesus on that uh, image right there. But because of the way they were taught. They were given the impression that I'm stepping on Jesus. You're not stepping on Jesus. It's just, it's like a story. A friend of mine went to study medicine in, I mean, in India. Uh, and in India, he had 
uh, classmates who were uh, Hindus, some were Islamic, and my friend had a Bible and tossed it on the sofa. And a Muslim gentleman said to him, why do you Christians handle your Bible so carelessly? He said, if, you, if I gave you the Quran and you did that to me, you know what I would do? I would sock you in the face. Uh-huh. And then the Christian says, well, if you took my Bible and dropped it on the floor, I'll probably ask you, why did you do it? You see the difference between that here? Okay. So we can see when we look at, we're, we're out of time. When we look at none of these diseases, we can see that in these scriptures, we see elements that will call out to us, that show the love of God. It shows that the Bible is not a human product. I believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God in this original autograph. I'm not saying there aren't errors in translation because when we translate to some languages, sometimes some other languages do not have the exact same word, but has some shade of difference in meaning. Sure. But you, you get the basic meaning. But in the original autographs, in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, I believe that the Bible is inerrant. It's my personal view. And when I look at these amazing things, I say, it could only have come from a divine author. Man could not have been there. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we oftentimes think that the Bible reaches out and speaks to the Western world. But what about people of other cultures? Do they see what we see? Can they sense the divinity? Does it tell us of your love? It surely does. But sometimes we have to train ourselves to be like Jews, to reach Jews, to be like the weak in order to serve the weak. And in order to see the eye, through the eyes of others. And if we look close enough, we do see that God loves all people. We can see infinite wisdom that cannot be uh, explained by man just inventing the Bible, but shows that there's a divine spirit that guided the apostles to write the Holy Word so that we have faith and confidence that the Word of God stands and stands for us today as it was at the beginning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 All right.